We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you ready for rapid fire? I am. Boom, 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 boom. Let's do it. So let's start with this question from Patrick Earwood. Interesting question. What's more likely to happen? One, Audric Estime and Logan Diggs both go for 1,000 rushing yards. Or two, Sam Hartman wins the Heisman Trophy. Um, so I'm quickly trying to look at where Audric Estime uh, finished last year in terms he of He had a little over yards. 900, and Diggs had um, a little over 800. So they were both within like 170 yards, I think, of 1,000. Here's what I'm going to say. I think I think if one happens, two happens, and if I think two happens, then one happens. I think they all happen or none of them happen. How about that? Ooh, I, I'm Interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the boat of, well, okay. One is like more likely to happen than two, but I think if one can really be effective, that means two is being really effective, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, Chris Tyree, if, if things go to plan, he's not going to even get as many touches, straight touches out of running back. So that's going to give you more touches to them first and foremost. And then with a better passing game, I think the running game opens up more as well. I think you'll see bigger holes. And like I said just a little bit earlier, just because they're not running as many times, I still think that the, the the yards per carry will still be pretty similar. The gist of what you're saying, I agree with. But here's <laughs> here's the wrinkle. You know, part of why you have the luxury of moving Chris Tyree to receiver is because you have a guy who might have been your top running back last year had he not blown out his Achilles, and that's Jadarian Price, who was a freshman last year. Now, he had the big spring. Now, you know, we've had seen guys have big springs and that that doesn't translate into seasons. But just with the kind of, again, speed and skill that he has, I'm going to say Hartman winning the Heisman just because I think only one of the two specific guys mentioned, Audric and Diggs, gets to a thousand. But because of Jadarian Price, I think that that's still that's going to do what you were talking about. It's going to take some of the touches away from somebody else. So you're, I, I do think that you're going to have three guys more consistently in the mix this year. Um, so I'm going to say, 
I don't I don't think two guys get to a thousand because of the fact that if Jadarian Price is healthy and doing what we saw from him last spring, then he's going to be a big factor for this team. And that's only going to be a good thing. And that just means that, you know, one of the you're not going to have one or or two guys taking all this pounding. You're going to have three guys who can really shoulder the load and you can do some different things with them. So I, I say because of price. You're not going to see, you might not even see one 1,000-yard rusher again, but you're going to see three guys with a, a, a ton of production, and then you throw Tyree into the mix as well. So I'm going to go with Hartman as my answer just because of that. Okay, I like that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's go back to Jared Parker here for a second. He uh, talked about the tight end room without Michael Mayer. You know, we've uh, heard a lot of different comments from him. And so here's what he says about what that tight end room is shaping up right now without Mayer in it. The good thing is they got a real good glimpse of it through 15, 16 practices, whatever it was for the bowl game and playing in the bowl game. And they just feel a huge obligation to the history and tradition of the tight end room. You know, the, the guys that are still playing the NFL, the guys of the past that have played the NFL and will put this golden helmet on long before I got here and will happen long after, there's an obligation to play at a high level to tight end position here. I know that. I've got the responsibility of it. They know it. And they feel it in a very positive way to make sure they play at a high level because that's the standard here at Notre Dame. So my question to you, Jess, is scale of 1 to 10. What is your concern level with the Irish tight end position room post Michael Mayer, and with both Eli Raritan and Kevin Bauman recovering from injuries right now? Yeah, so just just without Michael Mayer, I, I would put my concern, you know, somewhere around um, probably like a five or six. Uh, but then when you consider kind of the guys that are going to be filling in the shoes are coming back from injuries, that kind of gets ticked up to, you know, a little bit of a seven or an eight. But the reassuring part of it is kind of what Parker talked about in that little audio snippet is, you know, this, this is Notre Dame still, and there is a long tradition of, you know, good tight ends and the development of tight ends and, and, you know, things like that. So I think naturally it's, it's in good hands, but there's yeah, there's still a good amount of concern considering, you know, the level that Michael Mayer was, was putting, you know, playing at and, you know, where he sets the bar and then considering these guys are coming back from injury. So, yeah, I, I landed a, a pretty solid seven of, you know, concern. And I, I think oh, wow. that's, that's hard to say 
just because of like what you're comparing it to just, you know, the, the caliber at which Michael Mayer played at it, it's setting a, a pretty high bar. And I don't think that either of these guys are going to realistically come close to, you know, playing at that same level that Michael Mayer was, but that's not a knock against them. It's just Michael Mayer is really good. And, you know, that's going to be shown in this year's draft. And, you know, both of these guys are coming back from knee injuries too. So it's just, there's a lot kind of going into it. So yeah, I'm at a solid six or seven. Wow. So yours is, yours is pretty high. I'd only put mine around a two or a three. We're at, we're at opposite ends of the spectrum on this thing. <laughs> I mean, is there going to be a drop off without Michael Mayer at the tight end position? Of course there is. But again, I think that you're still going to see really good tight end play. You know, you obviously the hope is that, that Raritan and Bauman are both back by the fall. And I think it, it you know, it, it sounds like that's what they're planning on right now. There's no sense pushing them back too early in the spring from ACL tears and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. Evans is still a pretty good tight end. So is stays. And, you know, you got Cooper Flanagan, the freshman coming in, who's like, you know, pretty good size, six, five, 239 himself. So you're going to have some good talent in the room because of the positions that we just talked about, both with what you're going to get from the running backs and what you're going to get. I think you're going to get much increased production from the wide receivers this year. I think it's going to offset, you know, the, 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 just the receiving production of, of Michael Mayer. You're still going to have really good tight end play. It's, it's obviously not going to be, what it was with Michael Mayer, but my concern is not great because I think you're still going to have really good, consistent, solid tight end play and just increased production from the receivers is going to more than help. And, and, you know, and the quarterback is going to more than offset what you're going to lose with Michael Mayer. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that like in terms of overall kind of healthy health of the offense, I'm not too concerned, but again, just kind of using last year as the comparison and knowing, you know, what that play was like, there's obviously going to sure. be, a, you know, some drop off. So I guess sure. that was kind of the, where I was coming from. I got you. I got you. Fill in the blank. Speaking of tight ends, it's blank that Kevin Bauman says Jared Parker has some swagger to him <laughs> now that he's offensive coordinator. It's, it's good to hear because. I think that that shows you, like, how do I say? It? Like, if Parker's not getting hyped up and, and, you know, taking on the challenge every day and having confidence in himself, then it, it's just like, what? what's even the point? Because, you know, as a person, and especially in, in the industry that he's in, like, there's, there's, you're always taking on new challenges and new responsibilities and, and those sort of things. And so when you want your players to play at a high level, a confident level, then you yourself need to have that confidence and swagger about you. So to me, I, I love that he has that energy. I think it's, you know, it's just, it's just a great thing to be able to, you know, exude that confidence and swagger, especially if you want other people to kind of follow, you know, what you're saying and what you're trying to get through to them. I think so as well. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a good confidence and swagger. You know, it, it's, it's not like, eh, look at me, I'm the great, you know, like, like that kind of thing. I, I think it's like, He's he's feeling it a little bit. He's got this promotion. He's at Notre Dame. He's running the show now. And so I think that that is nothing but a good thing to exude that and have your players feed off of that. And again, I think that I think that they they seem to be drawn to that kind of energy. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of positive energy 
I think. You well, know I mean, I mean, just like yeah. I, honestly, today's generation of athletes, like I, they like seeing that in their coach. Like, right. I don't know if you saw that. Like, uh, as much as you, you know, Kansas State obviously not is a big rival of Kansas, so you know whatever. But before the games, the Kansas State coach would put on this, you know, music by this guy called Lil Baby. And I'm sure not a lot of people would listen to it in their free time, but the players love it. It got them focused. You see them clapping along. You see, you know, uh, the the head coach, I can't think of his name right now. It's slipping my Jerome mind. Tang. Are you Jerome Tang getting into his, okay. yeah, getting into his little groove a little bit. So it's just, again, it's just something that, you know, minor things that players enjoy and catch on to and allows them to kind of yeah. build their confidence in you because you're showing your vulnerability to them. Like you don't know anything about little baby music. So like, what's, <laughs> you know, like what, what's the, why, why go in there and try to dance? And, you know, it's just, again, a way to relate to the players and make them feel confident and to get everyone kind of on the same page. So I like that he brings that kind of energy and passion because he's showing to his players that, you know, that he can be trusted and he's going to bring it every day. Yeah, Sark has energy. Matthew says Sark has plenty of energy and passion. We see how awful they perform every year. <laughs> um, but maybe it's just because Sark is a bad coach. Like, no one's figured that out yet. I mean, he's got a track record at this point, right? Like, there's a difference. <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave it at that. So the final four is set. The two semifinals are going to be UConn versus Miami and San Diego State versus Florida Atlantic. Do you buy or sell the less than blue blooded final four is good for college basketball? I, I do buy this. I, I I do buy this and I don't buy it for like every single year. And maybe we're seeing a, a transformation in blue bloods. Maybe we'll never see, you know, the same consistency of true bloods. And I think the transfer portal has a lot to do with that because guys, good, good players, Yep. who not, aren't necessarily finding their fit or maybe a coach leaves and, it, you know, the new system isn't a fit, you know, whatever the reason is, right, that they're entering the transfer portal. I think a lot of good players on a year-to-year basis are going there and just getting into schools and kind of going, you know, under the radar. Um, and, and, like, that's what you're seeing a lot of, I feel like, is just that gap has been bridged by the transfer portal. And so instead of, you know, Blue Bloods kind of hoarding all these great players, you're seeing a lot of kind of good to average players bounce around to teams. And when you can assimilate, you know, those guys and get a good coach like you did in the Kansas State situation. I mean, they only brought back two guys from yeah. last year's roster and they made it to the Elite Eight. I think that's a prime example of showing, you know, what the transfer portal is capable of. So I I sell it because I, I enjoy seeing new teams in there. I like the variety. But then again, I like seeing some of those traditional programs in there too you know like i like seeing kansas in there i like yeah i hate duke but duke is good for college basketball i like seeing them making late runs into the tournament so i'm i'm more of it a buy or sorry a sell of it this year because i like the fact that we haven't seen this kind of final four in a long time like we see like two fives a four and a nine and i can't remember the last time you've seen something like that so i don't know if i'd be up <laughs> for it every year i think a nice mix every year would be kind of you know what what i would like the best yeah i mean I, I like it. I, I don't know that it's I, I agree with everything you're saying. The transfer portal has a huge part to do in it. And you're absolutely right. Like Kansas State, you know, look look how far they got, you know, and it's 
I mean, like we're looking close to home. It's part of what's so frustrating about the fact that everyone else can take advantage of the transfer portal, but Notre Dame is stuck with unathletic fifth-year guys, you know, and, <laughs> and look at what they did in the ACC this year, you know, and I, I, I think that it's good to the extent that, like, to me, the most fun part about the NCAA tournament, and I think what's the most fun about part about the tournament to most people is all the upsets in the first round, you know, but, but typically it's like, you know, a handful of teams gets to the sweet 16 as a, you know, like a, a, like St. Peter's last year or whatever double digit seeds, they get to the sweet 16. Maybe they push as far as the elite eight, but by then they're out and they net, you know, like very rarely, you know, unless it's Virginia Commonwealth or George Mason before that, it's hard to believe it's already been almost 20 years since I think George Mason with Jim Laranega made their push to the final four that year. I think it was 2004, but like they're usually done before they get to the final four. So to see all these, like you've got one power five program in the final four, it's obviously not a blue blood Miami, but it's, it's far from a traditional basketball power. It's Miami, you know? So I, I think it's fun to at least see some new blood, in there because you know last year was blue blood central you had kansas villanova and duke carolina in the semifinals and now six people or one in about every six hundred thousand brackets predicted this final four correctly that's just <laughs> insane you know where where we are right now and it, it and so congratulations, you know, like to Georgian accounting and, and uh, you know, Grandma Gertrude and the you know guy who never watches college basketball and and, you know, girl who picks the winners based on the uniform colors and like five or six year old kid who, you know, like the mascots make him laugh. And so that's what they picked, you know, and your dog maybe made, the, you know, your picks as well for that matter. That's that's who got the brackets right to this point. So at the very least, it's more fun. I will be curious to see what it turns out ratings wise. Cause like, you know, even though Alabama and Houston are far from blue bloods, they were number one seeds. And when, again, like what typically happens is these brackets start falling apart and it paves the way for those kind of schools as number one seeds to get into the final four and they couldn't even make it, you know? So I'll be really curious to see, you know, cause UConn is the closest thing right now to a college basketball power and no one was expecting them to do it. They're a four seed themselves. Honestly, I think that's probably who's going to win, end up winning this whole thing, just the way these teams have played, you know. But like, look at look at who's going to play for a national championship. Either San Diego State or Florida Atlantic are going to be in the national championship game a week from today. Think about that, because that you know they're playing each, each other in the semifinal. That is just nuts to think about that. And you could have an all Miami area final. For that matter. And I, cause I hadn't really thought about it, but like Florida Atlantic is obviously right there in that Miami area. Like you could have an all Miami area national championship game a week from today. That'd be nuts too. Yeah. I like, um, I'm, I'm with you. I think UConn just on both sides of the ball, like a composite score. They're, they're the best in the country, like San Diego state, not best in the country. Sorry. Best of the final four. San Diego State has really good defense. Um, I don't like their struggle is offensively if they can keep up. So if they, you know, assuming they beat Florida Atlantic and UConn would win, I, I just think that UConn's offense would outweigh kind of San Diego State's offense at that point. But to me, 
the wild card in the whole thing is Miami's and, and you know, cause they can get hot. I mean, saw what, see what they did, you know, last night to come back and beat Texas. Hey, I don't know where just wait till the last 10 minutes of the game. I thought that I thought the Texas Miami game was over in the burnt orange <laughs> favor and Miami just last 10 minutes of the game, just sit back and wait and see what happens. You know, it was funny. I was watching. I was on the phone last night with uh, with Grandpa, and he he was watching the game, and I was out running an errand. He was like, "Yeah, you know, Texas is winning." And I was like, "Oh, it's it's over." And he's like, "Well, it's college basketball. You never know. There's still ten minutes left." And sure enough, I clicked over and saw that <laughs> Miami won. Not even that, that they won, but they won by like eight or nine. And I was like, "Good I lord! Know. How did this just switch out of nowhere all of a sudden?" I know. They, they literally just came right back from the dead, and there they were, and they're in the Final Four now. It's just nuts. So fouls have been an issue during the tournament. Gary Parrish from CBS uh, Sports tweeted the other day that fouls rarely no. impact NBA stars in games the way they do college stars in games. Does college basketball have a foul problem, Jesse? Yes. I've, I've moaned and groaned about this and to me it doesn't make sense uh nba guys get six fouls yes they play you know a little bit longer in terms of total you know total minutes but how are college guys getting less foul opportunities like these are they're not pros yet so obviously to me it makes more sense to give the college guys more fouls and not even that but i agree you know that the college game isn't as skilled and refined. So, yeah, there's, I think, naturally going to be, uh, you know, more fouls. But, like, the stuff that I always hate are, like, the fouls off the screens and, like, the foul – like, just the little stuff. I just feel like it's so nitpicky. And in so many of these games, like the Tennessee and Duke game and the – just, like, a, a game off the top of my head and then – there was another game, I think, like the first the after Furman won. So in the round of 32, like star players are picking up foul trouble, you know, before before even halftime. And so then you're you're forced to sit out some of your star players. Other teams are going on runs. And I mean, not to make excuses, but the women ran into a lot of foul trouble against Maryland uh, yesterday. And that's what sparked, you know, Maryland to go on a run that Notre Dame couldn't ultimately couldn't keep up with. I mean, Notre Dame had three girls with five fouls yesterday. And it's just, I just, I don't get it. It's, Saturday, uh, but it, it's, still, it's, yeah. it's just, it felt a lot ticky tack. And it, it, to me at the college level, if you're going to keep fans interested, the best players need to be playing. And I, I don't think that that means you overlook calls, but let's not maybe, you know, get so nitpicky on some of these kind of smaller fouls. Over officiousness, <laughs> the over officiating, whatever. You know, it's like there's there, there's just too much to it. I agree. I think it's worth I think it's worth looking at adding a sixth foul because you watch a lot more NBA than I do. And I've there's a there's a podcast or two that I listen to where like one of the guys has talked about the fact that he doesn't watch that much college basketball because he thinks that you know the the skills and the fundamentals are so poor and like that leads to some of these fouls that we're talking about as well i do wonder with the proliferation of the transfer portal how much that plays into it as well because you, you know you're like you're adding all these new guys all the time and even if they're veterans like your 
you're coaching them into your system maybe more than you're coaching fundamentals you know like like you might be you're yeah. early you know what i mean like I, I wonder how much that might have to do with it i definitely think that there is an over officiating problem though just what you're talking about there are too many fouls being called well no one wants to see the star players sitting out that's in exactly these games. right that's exactly right yeah and i just thought it i was i was actually on a really long walk on uh saturday when you were doing the maryland game so it was nice because even though it was on espn i was just listening to the radio broadcast and I, I chuckled to myself at one point because i'm not kidding you it felt like every maryland possession was a foul there for like like four or five possessions in a row just felt like they were getting bailed out every time with a whistle and i just remember you making the, a comment that a maryland girl stiff-armed a notre dame girl going for a loose ball she falls down and then there's no call yes. on that yes she and so literally that's the other issue is where it was the literally fairness? like a heisman pose you know the way she's <laughs> stiff-armed I can't remember who she stiff-armed, but it's like, come on. And I don't know. And then like, Sonia Citron goes down because she's getting fouled a little hard. It's just, you know, like what? It's just, it felt like the teeter-totter wasn't balanced in that game. And that's the other issue. I, I don't appreciate over-officiating one side. And then the other side, you see some bodies fall. And also there's no whistle. <laughs> right. And Maryland players, they're not, it's not all flopping, you know, but like, Cheyenne Sellers. I heard you trying to elude this in the nicest way that they have. They yeah. are good at the and art like Karen, of letting, Karen letting Keys, them. who does the games with me, didn't <laughs> want to go there. But you know, like they know they they know how to, you know, get that contact. And they were getting calls. Like they were, you know, even though they're not all, I, I wouldn't say, you know, quote unquote floppers. They they know how to lean in and even you know whether it's on whether they're playing offense or defense they're always looking for that contact to try to get a foul called and they apparently did their job they got a lot of it Saturday a lot and that's ultimately just what it, it it felt like and it was so unfortunate because that game was so back and forth and so close there then as soon as Notre Dame's forwards and really with the offense that Maryland runs and, and the pressure. Those forwards are your only hope because the, the point guards can only do so much before they have to get the ball off and allow someone to slash. Well, you know, your your centers and your power forwards aren't going to do a lot of that. And so when your forwards go out and you're in foul trouble and you're already down, you know, your starting point guard, it's, it's going to be hard to move the ball around and score. And it felt like, unfortunately, that's what the women's team ran into. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it's going to look a lot different next year because they're going to have two point guards they're going to have you know other guards as well Sonia Citron and KK Bransford and you know that whole front court like you're going to have Olivia Miles and Hannah Hidalgo and they're also bringing in Rish a uh a uh you know good three-point shooter from down in Florida so it's going to look a lot different <laughs> next year some folks are excited be ready to go. yeah NFL owners are going to vote this week. They're they're doing the NFL owners meetings this week. They're going to vote this week to possibly allow flex scheduling for Thursday night NFL games. It would allow Amazon to shift games in weeks 14 through 17 of the season from Sunday to Thursday night with 15 days notice to allow them to schedule teams on a Thursday after a Sunday game twice during the season. 
instead of just once? Do you buy or sell this idea? So I buy this in terms of a consumer standpoint. I wouldn't buy this on, sorry, I buy this on a consumer standpoint of getting good games, you know, on those Thursday, last Thursday, couple Thursdays of the year. But as a player, I sell it because I just don't feel like it's ultimately fair because there's already issues with these guys playing on Thursdays as is, you know what I mean? You see a lot of guys not liking it. There's always, you know, the risk of injury because you're on a shorter week and I get it. You're still getting 15 days, but again, I, I just, as a, as on the player side of it, they already hate Thursday games. So having to play two in one season, I just feel like it's not ideal. So I feel like the NFLPA will not really be on board with this. I obviously the owners and, you know, Amazon, all of them will, will love it. And I'll tell you, Al Michaels and uh, Kirk will love this because it felt oh, they'll like love it. <laughs> every Thursday was a bad game for them. But, yeah, I, again, it's as selfish as it sounds as a consumer, I love the idea because we're going to get better Thursday games towards the end, right, better matchups. You're not just getting crappy ones. Um, but as, as a player, I would not want to get a 15-day notice. I got to play on another Thursday. Uh, no, and especially after you already have to do it once during the season. And then if they start flexing these games – that means that some teams aren't even going to have to play one Thursday game and others are going to have to play two Thursday games on a short week. <laughs> right. You know, so like, I don't know if they've really considered that. If you're a Cowboys but, fan, do you potentially get three then? Because they always play on Thanksgiving. They got to play the Thursday after yeah. Thanksgiving. So can they get flexed into a third possible game on these last three weeks of the I season? Mean, come on. Like, do we really care that much about Thursday games and trying to give Amazon? <laughs> yeah, I think I thought ratings? the whole purpose was just to expand to another day just so you could claim that day. I don't, yes. you know, at this point, who cares what that game is because you still own the whole day to yourself. Here's here's my problem with it. Like you said, from a consumer point, it's good. But let's say that that you and I have tickets to a Cowboys game. Oh, or, wow. That's a good point. You know, and we we're, we've been planning. It's in December, and we've been planning all season. We bought our tickets, bought not only our game tickets, but our airfare and the whole Hotel. thing. And we've been planning on a Sunday game, and then two weeks before the game, they say, "Up, oh, it's going to be on Thursday instead." Like, how is that? How is that good for anybody? You know, yeah. I, I realize the majority of of the people who who go to those games are going to be from you know, local or, or whatever, but even yeah, but like those, you're still going to have some people who are going to drive a couple of hours and there's a big difference driving on a Thursday night compared to a Sunday. Well, yeah, especially you got to get those days off of work now and hotel rooms booked and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, actually I, I, I <laughs> not a good idea. I I'm, I'm a complete sell on it at this point. Right. And obviously you can apply this to any team, not just the Cowboys. I'm just, you know, like using that, as an example, obviously, because as everyone knows, you know, that's who we're fans of. But uh, yeah, you're right, Anthony. There's the nightly Cowboys play. It's been a while. You know, we've laid off since the NFL season is over. But it, it, it you could be, a, like I said, you could be a fan of any team and you could apply that. Look, you know, like the Kansas City Chiefs. So now the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have to play you know, extra Thursday night games and, and someone's going to have to travel from Chicago to, to Kansas city to see it. There's, there's a big difference when you start shifting games from Sunday to Thursday, on that, that would bug notice. me on 15 days notice. That's right. I mean, like, since we're talking to 
to Notre Dame fans, just imagine, you know, this is probably never going to happen, but just, just imagine if, you know, you're a Notre Dame fan and you've got tickets for Notre Dame versus, you know, USC, it's supposed to be on a Saturday. And then all of a sudden they, you know, a couple weeks before the game, they say, nope, it's going to be on Thursday instead. Think of how, think of the disruption that would cause in the whole infrastructure hotel from hotel rooms to book flights and everything else big difference big difference all right fill in the blank it's blank that notre dame baseball won its first ever home series over louisville this weekend um i want to say shocking but then i started to dig into it and so you know let's assume notre dame made the switch in what like 2012 to the acc so that's Really, there you know. It, obviously, Louisville was not a part of the Big East, um, in which they were playing them. You know, three games. No, they sets. were. They oh, yeah. were part of the Big East. That's <laughs> that's a good point, oh, wow. actually. And so, yeah. Now that I do think of it, so we're talking Big East and ACC. And yeah, it it is completely shocking that they've never won a home series. And I, you know, Louisville has been good at baseball, and they're consistently one of the better teams year in and year out of baseball, but. I mean, Notre Dame has had its seasons, too. And it's not like, you know, they're just dog crap every year. So the, the fact that it's taken them this long to to win a home series against Louisville, to me, is is pretty shocking. But I think it's kind of the turning point that this this team needed because, you know, they haven't this is their first home series of the year. I think getting them getting Louisville to come on, you know, kind of a cold weekend, obviously played to their advantage a little bit. Um, I don't know about uh, <laughs> it is not fun playing baseball in the cold, especially as a hitter where you get jammed and that metal bat vibrates in your hands. Mm -hmm. So they had that working for him. So, yeah, I, I, I do think it's pretty shocking um, overall, but I'm, I'm excited for him because, I, again, I think this is kind of their turning point in the season. Guys, the bats are starting to wake up a little bit. I think they had like back to back home runs in, in that game two against Louisville. Um, and, and then at least another, you know, three, four home runs in a game uh, altogether. So, I, again, swinging point for me, but um, pretty shocking that it it's taken this long, and especially this season because this is kind of a, a rebuild in all in terms of roster oh, yeah. and coaching. And Louisville was the number two team in the country going into this weekend. That's 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 the biggest part of it. And like you know, like look at what Anthony was saying. This team is twelve and nine now. After the series win over Louisville, last year's team went 41 and 17 and lost the Louisville series, and of course, still made it to the College World Series, and Louisville didn't. You know, um, but uh, that's what's amazing is like Notre Dame has obviously been really good the last couple of years. And remember, they split that series. I think it was a couple of years ago, and they ended up canceling one of the games. And Dan yep. McDonald, the Louisville course coach, of course, got all ticked off about it. You know, because of weather and all that stuff because that's what he does he gets ticked off but i was gonna say your favorite fan you love the louisville coaches on just <laughs> that's, that's very true baseball. that's very true they've all they've all got they've all you know got their baggage let's just put it that way but i mean when you think about it the only thing that's shocking is i think it was paul maneri's last year in 2006 they played Louisville. I think it was like Louisville had just come into the Big East, and Louisville was not that good yet at that point. And 
that team, that Notre Dame team that went to the NCAA tournament that year in Maneri's last year, lost that series to Louisville at home. And of course, the next few years were really lean, for, <laughs> like next several years right. were really lean for, for Notre Dame. And in the meantime, Louisville became a national player. So like, it's not shocking that Notre Dame didn't win series at that point, just because of the disparity. And, you know, Louisville was so much better than Notre Dame, but it is, it is kind of crazy that we're sitting here in 2023, I think 17 years after that first time that, that Louisville came in. And this is the first time they've won a series and you're right. Hopefully this is a turning point for Notre Dame because it looks like maybe things have come together a little bit. And it also maybe coincides a little bit with Findlay finally getting into the starting rotation. The last I was giving you to say, I, I hope you noticed that because I know you've been yes. asking for it. And he went five or six innings with like nine K's the other day. Yes, and he I, did. And that's, yes, I did. mean, coming from the left side, you need that mix up in your three day rotation. Yep. He has done really well. He was a freshman All-American last year, and uh, he's uh, still doing really well right now. So hopefully that continues for him. All right, Jess, great stuff. I think fans appreciated your uh, somewhat impromptu whiteboard tonight. <laughs> yes, tell your friends, download the podcast, do what you need to do. But a whiteboard did make an appearance today. Yes, yes, it did. Yes, it did. All right, well, safe travels to you, and uh, I will see you soon. Vince will be in the next few days, and uh, we'll do we'll do uh, Sean and Vince stuff, I guess. You'll be heading off to, to Chicago for Cubs baseball. I'll All right. Stay warm while drinking my <laughs> Goose Islands. There you go. All right, have a good night. We'll talk tomorrow. Thanks for being with us tonight on IB Nation Sports Talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.